Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to find Acts chapter 12. There's an interesting story, really, that's dedicated to the entire chapter of Acts chapter 12. And this is probably a story that you've heard before, one that you're familiar with. So it's not, it's not one of those things that you've never heard before. The truth is, is you're finding Acts 12. The truth is, I'm probably not going to tell you something you've never heard before. I just don't feel like that's my ministry. I don't feel like I'm going to wow you or that I'm going to like blow your socks off. Like that's, that's not, I'm, that's the other guy or the other gal or that other bigger church or that other mega ministry. I don't know who they are, but I just feel like the word that God gives me more than, more, more often than not is more of a confirming word. And so what I'm believing and just listening to the worship and listening to the songs that were selected and just trying to hear what God was saying through every song, through every chorus, every verse, every bridge, every, just. I just, I want to, I want to bring you something that will confirm something that God's already told you. Amen. I just feel like God's been talking to you because the truth is you've been talking to him. And if you've been listening, if you've like that last song that we sing, if you've really been available, lending your ear to hear what he's saying, then I believe, I believe that what God has told me will confirm what he's already told you. Amen. And so you already see it on the screen. You already see this theme. Here's the title. If you need a title, some people don't like titles. The 21st century, you have no idea what congregations want. You have no idea what people have been listening to. I like titles. I like points. I like to know exactly what God is saying. And I like the rundown. I want to I wanna spend some time in Acts chapter 12. And I believe that God is what he's wanting to do. What he's wanting to do for you, he already did for Peter in Acts chapter 12. And that is open some doors. Amen. I feel like God's going to open some doors for you. I feel like God's trying to open a door for you. And maybe the best way to understand it is that maybe there's a door that's already open and you have yet to see it. Amen. Maybe something's existing. Maybe God's already answered a prayer. Maybe God's already done what you've asked him to do. But there seems to be something in the way preventing you from seeing it. And hopefully I believe that God has sent me to remove that obstacle. Amen. Now, in and of myself, I'm not much, but I'm telling you, when you begin to walk in the anointing and you tap into the Jesus that lives and breathes on the inside of you, you can do supernatural things. Amen. And so I don't know what's been in your way. I don't know what's been on your mind. I don't know what's been holding you back, but I believe the Holy Spirit sent me to remove it, to open your eyes and to see that maybe just maybe God has opened a door. And so I want to set it up. Is that okay? I'm not preaching yet. This is just all introduction. So if you're wondering, is this preaching? It's not. I'm just getting warmed up. Amen. I'm trying to get used to, you're trying to get used to me. I'm trying to get used to you. Amen. Trying to fill you guys out a little bit. There's not big shouters here. I don't know if we're going to do the Jericho march. Amen. We may have a prayer tunnel. I don't have five gallons of oil to anoint you with. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I'm going to preach and then we're going to pray. And then, and then Pastor Aaron's taking everyone to Golden Corral for lunch. Amen. We have one person clapping. Everybody else does not like Golden Corral. Amen. As long as you get there first, it's when you've gotten there after everybody's been in it, you know. That's when you don't want to, you don't want to, you got to be the first one in. 
So here's Acts chapter 12. I just want to set it up because a lot of times we don't spend enough time telling the story. And here's the truth. The truth is what our younger generation, so Gen Z, which is all of my kids, and Gen Alpha, which is the up-and-coming generation, they don't know the stories like we know the stories. So I'm just scanning the audience here, and I know there's a few seasoned vets here, and I've, just, I've got a feeling that some of you have been churched, meaning that you've, you've heard the stories. You read your Bible. You have a relationship. Not everybody knows the story like you know the story, and sometimes we need to give some context to the story. The truth is, sometimes we pull things out of it that really aren't in it because we don't understand the story. And so the story kind of goes like this. It's Acts chapter 12. So, so to, to put it into perspective, the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2. And you mentioned it just a few moments ago. Acts chapter 2, God poured out his spirit. Acts 2, 1 through 4. We know the day of Pentecost. And so as you get into 12 chapters later, about 14 years have passed. And so now we have the birth of the new church, the church that we're now living and breathing in. So it's still New Testament church. It's only 14 years old. 14 years have passed. And if you, if you, if you get past Acts chapter 2 and you get in like 3 and 4 and 5, like you begin to see how the church was. You see things like they multiplied or they were added to their number daily. There was a lot of growth. There was a lot of really good things that were happening. They had great momentum. But with great momentum, there comes a cost sometimes. And so by the time we get to Acts chapter 12, it says that King Herod was, was conspiring with the Jews because the Jews weren't super excited about this church of Jesus Christ. They didn't like they didn't want this thing to keep growing because they acted like they were all Jewish and they acted like Jesus was a Jew, but they were he was not Messiah to them. And so they conspired with Herod. They were talking with Herod and politics were just as alive and well back then as they are today. And so they're talking with Herod and they're saying, Herod, we got to put this thing down. And Herod wants to win favor with the Jews because he answers to Rome. And in answering to Rome, he has to make good with where he's at. So he's in Israel and he's trying to establish his authority and he wants to get promoted and he wants everybody in Rome to like him, all the politicians to love him. And so he's trying to get in good with all the Jewish leaders. And so they're talking and they're thinking, and what can we do? And so Herod, it says, Herod, as you begin to step into Acts chapter 12, it says that Herod arrests James, the brother of John, one of the, one of the sons of thunder. He's the first one that we find is martyred for the cause of Jesus Christ. So he arrests him and they put him on trial. And you know, they falsely accuse him and they did to him what they did to Jesus, what they probably are doing to us today. Just coming out with all this crazy stuff. And it says that they convicted him and they killed him. They ran him through with the sword. And Herod saw that it pleased the Jews. And so because he wanted to please the Jews and because he was more interested in power and his position, it says that he had Peter arrested. And so in arresting Peter, what's going through Herod's mind is this. If I could get rid of the leader of the church, maybe I could get rid of the church. If I could arrest the big guy, if I, could, if I could put him on trial and make a spectacle out of him, if I could lock him up and run him through, then not only would this, this movement of Christianity be extinguished, but then all the Jews would be super happy and all the Sanhedrin and the high council and the high priest, everybody would embrace me. And this was his plan. And I'm not reading into it. You can read it if you want to. But this is what's happening. And so it says that he arrests Peter. But the problem is when he arrests Peter, it's Passover. And so with any good Jew, you can't do anything during Passover. And so they have to wait for Passover to end before they can do to Peter what they had planned and plotted to do. And so Peter's in jail. Here's Peter in jail. And this is where the story gets interesting. And this is where, this is where I love the story. And this may, be just, may be, this may be exactly where you're at. This may not be Peter's story anymore. This may be your story. 
This may be exactly what you're going through. And maybe you can identify with a girl. Maybe, just maybe, you can find your story in this story. I believe that you can. And so I'll just begin reading, if it's okay, with verse number seven. I'll start with verse number six. And then I know I've got it on the screen, seven and eight. It says, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Verse number seven, and suddenly, I love that word because God just suddenly, he moves. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. He woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. The chains fell off Peter's wrists. Verse number eight, then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. And Peter did so. He said, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And that's exactly what the angel told him to do. You may be thinking, well, what exactly does it have to do with me? I think it has a lot to do with us because here it is. And this is where it may translate into your life. Peter was getting ready to wake up and he was going to go on trial. And I believe with my whole heart that Herod was going to, he was going to find him guilty and he was going to, he was going to kill him. That's what he was going to do. He was going to martyr this guy. That's exactly what he's going to do. And so somehow, some way, Peter was able to fall asleep in the jail cell. It says four squads of four soldiers, that 16 people were guarding him because Herod was petrified that somebody may help Peter escape. And so in the middle of the night, the night before it's all the, like the, 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 the night before the execution is getting ready to take place. It says that he goes to sleep. I don't know how he went to sleep, but somehow he was able to fall asleep. And while he was sleeping, it says the angel of God appeared. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen an angel, but I've talked to people who have had visions of angels or they've seen physical angels. And they normally describe them as like these gargantuan creatures, which really and truly, that's ex- I mean, that's the way the Bible describes them. These 9, 10, 11 foot, I don't know, huge creatures. And they're just, they're just illuminated. We're talking about the good angels, not the fallen ones. Amen? You've probably encountered some of the fallen ones too, but I'm talking about the good ones and then this, this angel appears in the jail cell. And, then, and if, his, if his presence wasn't enough, the light that he was just, the shine, this, the illumination of this individual standing, if that wasn't enough, like Peter was still sleeping. It says that he had to nudge him, that he had to, it's a, one verse that like he struck him, he pushed him. And he said, Peter, you need to wake up. You need to get up. That's what you do. You need to, I don't know why it is that you're sleeping at a time like this, but you need to wake up. You need to get dressed. You need to put on your robe. You need to put on your sandals. He said, we need to get going. There's something that God wants you to do. God is not done with you yet, Peter. I don't know if you're finding your story. I don't know if you're hearing what God is saying to you this morning, but Peter, but Peter, look, it it seems so good. It seemed too good to be true. Have you ever been there before? It says that he felt like he was having a dream. He thought it was a vision. He thought, he thought somehow, some way that this was just a wonderful dream that he was experiencing the night before he might be executed. And it says, it says that they begin to walk together. The chains fell off. Doors were opening. Guards were, sentries were sleeping. It says the big iron gate that they were supposed to keep them held back. It just opened on its own. They walked out to the street. They walked the length of the street. And then suddenly, just as suddenly as the angel appeared, the, the angel disappeared. And then Peter realized this is really happening. He began to understand that this was no longer, this was not a dream. This was a reality. He goes, he runs to the house, the house of Mary, who is the, the mother of, of, of John Mark. And, and, and he's beating on the door and, then, and no one's answering the door because they're busy praying that Peter, that Peter somehow escapes. 
And so they're beating on the door. Finally, this young servant girl named Rhoda comes to the door and she, she opens up the little, the, the peephole, you know, and she's like, who is he? He's like, it's Peter. She's like, no, no, Peter's in jail. We're praying for him to be released. He said, no, it's Peter. She realizes it's Peter. She forgets to open the door and all the excitement runs back, tells everybody Peter's at the door. And it's, they, 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 they tell Rhoda, they, well, they asked her, they said, Rhoda, did you take your medication this morning, right? Because they think she's off her rocker. They really did. They thought she was crazy. We're praying for Peter. How could Peter be at the door? How in the world could God answer our prayer so quickly? Are you kidding me? I just feel like sometimes God's answered the prayers that we keep praying for. Amen? That maybe just maybe he's already opened the doors that you've been asking him to open, that something is getting in the way. They finally, they go to the door. It's Peter. He explains what's happened. Everybody's super excited. The next day he goes on, he goes about his ministry because God was not done with him yet. And so I don't know if you've heard your story yet, but here's your story. Some of you have been captivated. Some of you have just been barricaded, blockaded. I know something keeps getting in your way. Something is holding you back. I don't know if it's, everything's a spiritual thing as far as I'm concerned. But sometimes through that spiritual lens, sometimes it's a financial thing. Sometimes it's a health thing. Sometimes it's a relationship thing. Sometimes it's a job thing. I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what's got you locked up. I don't know what's holding you back. But look, I may not be a 10 foot angel and I may not shine like that one did in Acts chapter 12. But I've got the spirit of God living on the inside of me. And he sent me here to tell you that you need to wake up. Amen. That you need to get up. That you need to get dressed rest that it's time that it's time to go God is on the move there is a momentum that we are experiencing in a post-covid culture as we've stepped into this 21st century that is unlike any other thing I've ever studied or ever known I'm telling you it's time for the church to make its move it's time for you to make your move I don't know what ministry God's laid on your mind I don't know what it is he promised you and told you 10 years ago five years ago I didn't come to tell you the dreams that you've had I've just come to tell you the one who's going to make them true, to bring them to pass. He's telling me to tell you it's time to get up. Amen. It's time to get dressed and it's time for you to get going. Why? Because God has opened some doors. Amen. So that's the pre-sermon sermon. Okay. So you ready for it now? I know it's 1151. Pastor Aaron told me I could preach till two o'clock. Amen. I'm kidding. That was a very nervous laugh look he just gave me. Okay, he didn't tell me that. But I did watch him on Facebook. It looked like he went to 1230 once, baby. Did you do that? Maybe. Maybe. All right. Maybe. So I've got nine minutes, right? Will you give me nine minutes? All right, do I hear a 10 or 11? Yeah. I'm kidding. I, just, I do. I want to, I can we just dive into this? And I'll go, I'll go as fast as I can. I'll talk as fast as you listen. Amen? If you don't go to sleep... Then we'll, just don't throw anything at me. Amen. If it gets too long, just wave at me. Just say, Pastor Aaron, just kind of give me. Do you have those signs? You know, stop. You have 10 minutes. Do you have those? Did you print those out? You could make them. You can look, look at that. You could make them. You could. But I'm like, like my Heather, you know, I just, Heather will be doing stuff while I'm preaching. I never even see her. I just, I get in the zone, you know, you just get in the zone. So we need to pray. I need to preach. I'm just stalling, right? The inevitable. So pray with me, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we just come before you today. God, I thank you and praise you. God, for Sapona Road Church of God, I thank you for Pastor Aaron and Heather. God, even, even Justin, God, and his wife and the, the work that they're doing here. God, this worship team, God, the ministry, the workers, God, all that they're accomplishing for your kingdom. God, I give you thanks. I give you praise. 
God, I just, I, I just, I want them to know. God, help them to know. Help them to be encouraged that they're making a dent. They're doing what you've called them to do. That your hand is upon them and that, God, you are not done with them yet. I pray that, God, you would speak today, that we would hear you, that you would, I don't know, do something, change our mind, change our hearts, that, God, your word would find a place into our lives, and it just would, it would be transformative. That's all I'm asking, that, God, you would help us to see the open door. You would help us to see the light at the end of the tunnel, that, God, you are making a way, and that suddenly, in a moment, in an instant, everything can change. God, like Peter, like you did for Peter, I pray that you would do for us right here, right now. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. The church said, amen. Amen. Open doors. So the first thing, the first thing I see in this story is that you've got to get up. Amen. You've got to wake up. Like, like I, I just feel like in some ways that we've gotten very, that we've gotten very sleepy. I think the church has kind of gotten sleepy. And I just, I feel like that we need to wake up. I feel like we need to wake up. And you could say COVID happened for a lot of reasons. And I know that we don't even like to talk about it anymore. But I, I feel like God was using it in some ways to wake us up. And I know that we lost a lot of things that we loved, whether it be individuals or loved ones or it may be things or objects. I don't know what it is. We all did. Every one of us did. I did, too. I lost a lot of friends. I lost a lot of people in ministry that mean a lot to me. Two of my closest friends in ministry, they died during COVID. And both of them were related to COVID. But bigger than that, I feel like God, I feel like God is trying to wake the church up. I feel like God is trying to get our attention. And I, I, I just, I feel like we need to wake up. I don't feel like it's an angel in Acts chapter 12 anymore. I feel like, I feel like it's a 21st century church. And I feel like it's preachers like me and maybe preachers like Pastor Aaron is telling the church that we need to wake up. And I know that we don't want to hear that. I know that we want to feel like we're doing everything we're supposed to be doing. But the truth is, we become comfortable. I remember waking up. As a young man, I remember the way that my dad used to wake me up. And maybe your father used to wake you up this way. But my dad would come in the room and he would do it like obviously he was military. So he would he would come in and I would never hear him coming in. He would sneak in and somehow, some way what dad would do is I don't know how he would do it, but he would grab the, the blanket, the sheet, like anything and everything I was holding on to. And he would just rip it off and he would throw it everything in the other other side of the room. And he would say, Brett, get up. And I would be like just trembling and, and just crying like a small fetus, you know, wondering what just happened and, and lights are on and everything I was holding on to just got ripped away. And you, you know how you are when you first wake up. Has anyone ever startled you like that? Anyone ever done that to you while you were sleeping? Never. That's never happened to you, Heather, has it? Never. I don't believe you. Amen. We've all had that happen to us. My dad used to do that all the time. He used to do it all the time when I was in the army and basic training. They would come in like with the trash cans, metal cans, and they would just beat them and just just startle you. You'd fall right out of the bunk. And I, 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 what I'm trying to say is this: I just I feel like God's trying to wake the church up. Amen. And my dad, my dad, like everything that I was holding on to in that moment of sleep was ripped away from me. And I think that for some of us, what we've been through, whether it be recently or just in the, in, in just the, the near past, it feels like it feels like the, the lot of the things that we we're holding on to, the lot of things that we were comfortable with and close to got ripped away. And then maybe some of you, maybe some of you, the root of it is the root of it is, is that you're upset with God. You may act like you're upset with something else. But the truth is, you're upset with the guy who we say is sovereign. So if anything was taken away from you, you can't look at people. You can't look at the enemy. You've got to look at God. He is still in control of all things. He is still sovereign. God did not try to rip anything away from you. My dad wasn't trying to take anything away from you. He was trying to get my attention. God is trying to get the church's attention. An angel in Acts chapter 12 was trying to say, Peter, how in the world can you sleep at a time like this? 
You need to wake up. This is what Paul said to the Romans in Romans 13, and you've heard this before. And do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to do what? To wake up from your slumber. He wasn't talking to the Roman heathens. He was talking to the Roman church. He said, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. We need to get ready. We need to wake up. That's what the church needs to do. John the Revelator writes to the church in Sardis, Revelation chapter 3. He says, I know your deeds, that you have a reputation of being alive. But the truth is, the truth is the one who can see into the very depths of your soul. He says that you are dead. Verse 2, Revelation chapter 3, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. And I feel like what God is saying is that I'm not done with you yet. You're not finished yet. You can't throw in the towel yet. You don't walk away from me yet. You can't leave that ministry yet. Some of you think, well, I'm too old. I'll just hand it to somebody else. Some of you thinking I'm too young. I'm just not qualified. Everybody else in the middle, you just feel like you're burnt out. I'm telling you, God's not done with you yet. God's not finished with you yet. It's time to wake up. We need to wake up. I don't know what you've been holding on to. I don't know what seems to be getting in the way. I don't know what the enemy keeps whispering in your ear. But God has sent me here to tell you, you need to wake up. We need to wake up. I thought of Jesus in Matthew chapter 26. We understand, we understand that this is the moment, the, the, the moments just precluding him being arrested and all the, all the horrible things that happened to him before he was crucified. He had just had the Last Supper, remember? And, then, and they're coming out of that upper room and they're, and, and, and they're worshiping and they're singing and they're making their way to the garden. And, 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 and the worship becomes sorrowful for Jesus because he knew what was getting ready to happen. He knew that what he was getting ready to do would change everything. It would be the most difficult thing that he would have to do. And it says, it says that he's with all the disciples except for Judas, right? And, and, and he gets the inner three, Peter, James, and John, and he says, he says to them, let's go a little further, and they step out, and they go a little further, and they, and they, begin, to, and they begin to pray. Remember, they begin to pray, and as they're, as they're praying, Jesus would step further, and he said things like this. He said, he said, God, not my will be done, but your will be done. Remember? Remember him praying that? And he would come back to his disciples. And if you read in, in, in Matthew 26, every time he would come back to them, what, would they, what were they doing? They were sleeping, remember? In one of the, in one of the most significant moments in time, and it did not even just spiritually, but, but just historically, we went from B.C. to 80. It split everything and have everything changed with what, the, one of the biggest moments that could ever happen in all of time. What was the church doing? They were sleeping. And what did Jesus say? What did he say to them in verse 41? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And what I believe, what I believe is that we're, we're embarking upon one of the greatest opportunities that we've ever seen as a church. One of, the, one of the greatest harvest fields. If 8 billion people are on the planet, then we've got to know, we've got to know over 7 billion of them don't know Jesus. We have one of the greatest opportunities. One of the, Jesus is still returning. He, he's still coming back for the church. We, we are on the edge, the precipice of one of the greatest, one of the greatest movements that we could ever see in all of Christianity. And I feel like Jesus is still stepping back and he's looking and he's saying, are you guys really asleep? I know this sounds awfully condemning, don't it? It sounds like I'm preaching to you, but I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching with you because he's got to wake me up too. Amen. I'm telling you, the church needs to wake up. We need to get up. We need to, I don't know. We need to what? What did the angel tell Peter next? He said, you need to, he said, you need to get dressed. Amen. 
Here's the truth. Here's the truth. And I say this thankfully. But none of you look the way you do right now when you did when you first woke up. Amen? Right? Okay. All right. You did something, didn't you? I mean, you did something. Some of you combed your hair. Some of you may. Maybe not. But we did things. We dressed and we... It's a multi-billion dollar industry, isn't it? This whole idea of getting ready. The whole... This cosmetic industry. This whole... I don't know, showering and shaving. And it's, look, you, I know that like, the guys are looking at the girls, but the truth is the guys spend as much money than the girls do on this whole getting ready thing and getting your look together and looking the way that you look and buying the things that you buy, smelling the way that you smell. And I feel like what God is saying is this. He's like, look, you know, in the natural, you know how to get ready. You know how to get dressed. You know how to look good, smell good. You know, you know what your style is. You know what your budget is. You spend a lot of time looking the way that you look. He said, why in the world aren't you doing that for my kingdom? How come you're not getting dressed for me? See, that's the natural part of it. What's the spiritual part of it? The angel told Peter, he said, you need to get up. You need to get dressed. You need to get dressed. You need to get ready. Pastor Aaron, if, if, if I, as I drove in, I can't remember, like if a house across the street caught on fire, if you and I ran out the door and we, and we busted in there trying to save everybody, dressed like we're dressed, equipped like we're equipped, we would fall to the same. We would die just like they would die. The smoke would kill us just like it would kill them. Why? Because you can't, you can't just dress any way you want to dress when you're dealing with a situation like that. You can't just run in there. If the, if the Carolina Panthers called me up today and said, and said, hey, Brett, we heard that you used to be a quarterback in high school. And I wasn't, and that would be a lie. But I would go along with it just to see what else they would say. And they said, we want you to come practice with us, play with us. I could put on all the, like, I could do everything that I could do. But those guys would crush me. Those guys would kill me. That's what they would do. I certainly wouldn't be looking like this. I wouldn't show up like this for practice. I, in the military, with morning formation, I didn't just show up any old way that I wanted to. I, just, I feel like what we're doing is Matthew chapter 22. Remember the great banquet that the, that the master had and everybody came in and there's that guy just wearing whatever he wanted to wear. And he said, how did he get in here dressed like that? Get him out of here right now. I feel like the church is acting like we can just, we can have church whenever we want to. We can sing whatever we want to. They can preach. We can just, we can do whatever we want to you can clothe yourselves and step into whatever you want to and God is always secondary what we want is always primary and I feel like God is saying no you don't just need to wake up you need to get dressed there's something that you need to put on you don't run into a house fire unless you're a fireman and you've got the equipment on and you've got the helmet on and you've got all the stuff on the gear on you don't run out on the football field unless you've geared up and you practiced up and you've prepared and I feel like the church just acts like we can just go out and do whatever we want to do and so many times we end up on the short end of the stick and we're upset with God because it looks like ministries failed, but God never fails. It's the church that refuses to get ready. It's the church that refuses to be prepared and to put on the right stuff. And so the natural question would be this, so what do we wear? Spiritually then, if, that, like, if that's what you're saying, then what exactly are we supposed to put on? This is what Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse number 10, finally, my brothers and my sisters... If you want to be strong in the Lord and mighty in his power, 
you got to preface it now before you get to verse 11, before you talk about the armor of God. And I know some of you, some of you Bible thumpers, you know your Bible, but you, you need to put it in the context in which, in which Paul said it. If you want to be strong in God, you want to be victorious. You want to be a conqueror. You want to be more than an overcomer. You want to be all the stuff that Christ has called you to be. The, the purpose he unlocked on the inside of you when he saved you. If you want that, if you want to walk in the anointing and the power of God, if you want that, that's what he told the church in Ephesus. He's telling the church at Sapona Road, then you need to put on the full armor of God. You understand now? Now, see, I, we could walk through it pretty quick now because you know what the armor is, don't you? See, here's Paul probably sitting in house arrest looking at a Roman soldier. And all of a sudden, like any good preacher, a sermon evolves. Like everywhere we look, we write sermons, don't we, Pastor Aaron? Looking at this Roman soldier looking at how prepared he is, looking at everything he's wearing, and he's thinking, what is wrong with the church? Why is Rome such a good, why do they have such a good army? Why do they, why they beat everybody? What in the world is up with these guys? Why is the church winning like that? He looked at that helmet. What do they call it? The helmet of salvation. He said, we need to put on the helmet of salvation. He said, what does that mean? It means that we need to ask God to cover this thing with his grace, with his mercy, Amen. Because the way that you look, boy, the enemy is trying to get in. The way, you, the things that you listen to, the stuff that you keep thinking about, you need to ask God to cover your brain. Amen. You need to ask him to get in your mind and to change the way that you think. That, that's how we get dressed. You understand the breastplate of righteousness. What does the breastplate cover? What does it protect? The, the, the most important organs, the heart, the lungs, the liver, you know what I'm saying? The kidneys, all, all this stuff that's super important, specifically the heart. He said, what, what does that mean? It means that when we get dressed in the spirit, we say, God, protect our heart, protect the way that we feel. Some of you are living on emotion. Like you are an emotional roller coaster. You, you, you love this church. And Pastor Aaron, don't get mad at me. But some of you love this church because you can come in here and listen to this incredible worship and it gives you a super big high. But if that's the only high that you get, if that's the only emotional response that you could get from God, then you are sunk when you walk out the doors. And that's why you keep living locked up like Peter did in Acts chapter 12. Pentecostals are notorious for the goosebumps and the feel good. Let me tell you something. Jesus is a lot more than a goosebump and a good feeling that comes and goes. He is something that sticks with you. You need to ask God to protect your heart. The breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. What does the belt do? The belt holds everything up. It, it holds the pants up and the shirt, it keeps it tucked in. And I know we're in the 21st century, nobody does that anymore. But back in those days, if you were a Roman soldier, it's what kept all the gear in place. We need the truth of God. We need to get in the, you look, what, what do you mean get dressed? You need to read this thing. You need to get in this thing. You need to know this thing. Don't just come and listen to a preacher. You better have your own relationship with Jesus. You need to, this is what holds it all together, keeps everything in place. There is no substitution for the belt of truth. I know you got your podcasts. I know you got your little things you read and do it. Absolutely. But that is all supplemental. This is the one and only thing that we could stand on. It's the belt. You need to get the belt of truth, the feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of Jesus. What do you mean? It means that I'm available. It means it means that, that God is guiding your steps. It means that wherever he says go, you go. Us Pentecostals, we say we're led by the spirit. But when's the last time you actually listened to the Holy Ghost and did what he told you to do and went where he told you to go? 
I know, you th- I know this sounds a lot tougher than it did when I was going through this earlier this week, Pastor. I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm just trying to say we, we need to get dressed. You can't just walk out there in that world any way that you want to and go. The seven sons of Sceva, and I know I'm just, I don't want to get down a rabbit trail, but they said in the name of Jesus, they tried to cast out a demon. The demon said, well, I know Jesus, you know, I know Paul, I, I know all these people, but I don't know you. You go out there using a name that does not live and breathe in here on the inside. We got to get dressed, man. Amen? Amen. Are you guys okay? Yeah. All right. You're not mad at me, are you? There's no pulpit for me to hide behind. That's a very thin bar. If you start throwing stuff, it's going to be tough. Amen? Pastor Aaron, you better guard me, man. You better. I brought my armor bearer. Don't mess with Claire Bear. Amen? <laughs> Can we keep going? The shield of faith? I mean, I'm just, like, where's the church's faith anymore? How many times here? You know, I have It used to be 25 years ago, but now it's like 50 years ago, because it was the older generation. It's the boomers that are saying it. You know, they used to say 25 years ago, like I don't see the miracles that I used to see. You know, at this point, 50 years ago, I don't see God moving like He used to move. Man, God's just not. God did not change. We forgot our faith. Amen. We're the ones that have stopped believing like that young, that, that, that young man with his son in Mark chapter 9. Remember, the disciples tried to deliver the demon out of him. And he said, Jesus, well, if you can do it. And Jesus said, what do you mean if I can? I, I'm the son of God. I can do anything. And he said, then help me to overcome my unbelief. We need to start believing again. We just quit singing the song. Start living the song. Quit, quit hearing the sermon. Start living the sermon. We need to believe it. Practice it. It needs to become a part of our life. It's the only thing, the one thing that is a defense Against everything the enemy is throwing at you, it is your shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. It's the only offensive weapon. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, look, the the shield of faith will block it, but the sword of the truth, this word of God, it will push the enemy back. When you begin to lift up the name of Jesus, if that's all that you know, then I'm telling you there's still power in the name of Jesus. If you've got relationship, if you're connected, if you're saved and got him living and breathing on the inside of you, when you begin to speak his name, it says the enemy will bow his knee. It will push him away. There's something about quoting scripture. There's something about speaking it out loud. Make, we were just singing the song. If we would just lift up our voice, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the enemy has to flee. Amen? Amen? And, I, and we could get into verse 18, and it says to pray in the Spirit. Of, I'm just, prayer is the way that we put it on. See, that's the question you have. If that is what I'm supposed to wear, then how do I put it on? You put it on in prayer. And so the next question would be, well, how often do I put it on? And my question to you would be is, how often do you get dressed? Every day. One couple I pastored in upstate New York, they said they, they pray that prayer every day. He's, they pray the Ephesians 6 prayer every day. They put on the full armor of God every day. When they get out of the bed, they kneel down, they pray together, and they say, God, I pray that you'd cover my mind. I pray you'd cover my heart. I pray that you'd order my steps. I pray the truth would hold everything in place. I pray that you would, I pray that you would help me to have faith. So whatever the enemy is trying to throw at me, I know the difference between that and what you're wanting to do, and I'm going to speak what you want to do. I've got a sword. I'm going to use it today. God, help me to be an offense. We need a score points for the kingdom is what we need to do. We, we've been living in maintenance mode ever since COVID, and we've, we're not taking back any territory. People are leaving ministry. They're not coming in ministry. Churches aren't really growing like they need to be growing, at least not in, like, like in the United States. They're not. We need to get offensive again. We need to start building the kingdom again. How do you do that? You've got to start getting dressed. Amen? 
you got to get dressed. You still with me? Is that okay? It's 12-12. I've passed the nine-minute limit. Am I still okay, Pastor Aaron? I've only got one more to go. Just one more point. I'd love to tell you. No, I'm not going to. I'm just going to skip over this next part. Amen. There, there was something I wanted to tell you, but I'll, just, I'll leave it. Because I know some of you get antsy, you know. So he's preaching really long. I'm not preaching really long. You're just feeling really guilty. Amen. <laughs> you say, you can't convict me. No, I can't. I can't, but the Holy Spirit can. And so if you feel conviction, you've got to know it's not people, it's God. True conviction, true conviction cannot come from people. It can only come from God. People can make you feel guilty, but only the Holy Spirit can convict you. You with me? See, here it is, and I'm going to wrap it up. And this, I promise, this is shorter. And this is more colorful. We'll have a lot more fun here, and you'll laugh, I think. I think you're going to laugh in a minute. Maybe. And if it's not funny, then give me a courtesy laugh. Amen? So, so saying, if it's a bad joke, just laugh anyways, and I won't know the difference. You've got to, you've got to, we've got to wake up. Like you've, we've got to get up. We've got to get dressed. Why? Because it's time to get going. It's time to move. This is, this is go time for the kingdom. I know some of you are thinking, we just went through something that this planet has never, 8 billion people had to experience something like COVID. We're just trying to, we've just gotten through this. We're on the other side of it. There's, it seems like every, the grass is starting to grow again and the crops are starting to come forth again. Can we just enjoy what we've got? Can I just enjoy what little bit I've got left? Some of you are older thinking, these are the golden years. I just want to enjoy what's left. And, and the younger ones are saying, I've got the whole life that's ahead of me. And I'm just, I'm just going to enjoy where I'm at and do what makes me feel good. And, and again, all the ones in the middle are burnt out. I'm just, I feel like God's talking to everybody. It's a multi-generational sermon that we need to make our move. You need to get going. It doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, what your experience is. You were saved 50 years ago or maybe just five minutes ago. We need to get on board. We need to get moving. It's like an angel. As we begin to step, chains will fall off. Doors will open. God will make a way. Your ministry is not over. He's not done with you yet. And in so many ways, he's just getting started. It's time to go. Amen. It's time to go. So here's my story. This is my New York story. And you'll laugh because you'll just say it's a bunch of crazy Yankees. And you're right because they are a bunch of crazy Yankees. I'm a Kentuckian, I guess, so I could say that. Any New Yorkers in the house? Online. I apologize. So in New York, I learned how to drive in New York. I didn't learn how to drive in upstate New York. When we transitioned from pastoring in New York... And I passed, it was a great church. I pastored there for 10 years. It was just, it was all, I was a youth pastor for over a decade. And then we pastored at the same church for 10 years. And then God said, I want you to be the youth director in New York. I said, okay, God. And so, and so that's what we were SEALs teammate at that point. When we went to New York, we had two kids. When we left New York, we had four kids. So if you want to have kids, move to New York. I'm kidding. No. We moved, to, we moved to Long Island, and so we're just a few miles outside of Queens, New York. So you can imagine, you can imagine how different that's going to look. I don't care who you are. You know, New York is like the capital of the world. There are more ethnicities living in New York than there is in any other city in the world. It's a cultural, it's a cultural potpourri. It's everything. And so, and so, what I, what, so before I went to, to the city... When I drove past Aaron, I, I always liked the pole position. I like to be the guy in front. I don't know if you're like that. I, I, I don't like big trucks in front of me. Like, we have a 12-passenger van. It's not a church van. It's just that's our family ride. We're just big. People say, oh, that's a nice church van. I said, this is actually ours. Oh, I'm sorry. 
I said, don't be sorry. You know, our quiver's full. We feel good about this. So anyways, anyways, I always like to be the guy out front. And so in, in New York, driving through the boroughs, and especially like Manhattan, what you, you think of New York as Times Square, but you've got to imagine there's the millions and millions of people just squished in this one little place. And Long Island is just, it's a terrible place. It's a lovely place to live if you live there. If not, it's terrible to live there. And I always wanted to be out front. But what I learned is when you're driving in New York, you don't want to be the, the, the guy at the front of the pack. And here's, here's my story. And really, God spoke to me through this, and you'll see it in just a minute, is that, is that when you're out front, you, you get to the light first, you know what I'm saying? You know, you get to watch it change. You get to be the one to take off first. And you, you, like, set the pace. Like, leaders like to be up front. And so what I noticed was is that sitting at the red light, before the light would ever turn green, do you know what people would start doing? Honking and yell. I mean, yelling, screaming, using words that I can't use here. Raising fingers that I wouldn't raise here. I'm telling you, I heard and saw everything. It was terrible. Terrible. And I'm sitting here thinking, the light is red. You know, I'm just I'm like, I'm yelling out my, it's red. What are you guys doing? What are you looking at? What are you thinking? And it finally dawned on me one day. Do you know what they were looking at? They weren't looking at my light. They were looking at these lights. Because when that turns yellow, guess what's going to happen to this one? It's going to turn green. And so when they see that turn yellow, that's when the horns start blowing. That's when the people start yelling and the fingers start waving. That's when all that happens. I never picked up on that. Do you know why? Do you know what the story, the, what, you say, what, what, are you, what is God trying to say to you through a story like that? Because I feel like for so many of you, and even for Peter, we're looking at red lights and somebody like me is maybe a few cars back, or maybe I have a different angle or a different perspective. I'm not looking at what you're looking at. The angel was not looking at what Peter was looking at. He realizes, I'm realizing there's a shift that's coming in the kingdom. There's a shift that you say, you don't know me. I, 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 can't, I can't peer into your soul, but I know the one who does. And he sent me here to tell you that you're looking at a red light. When God is trying to say things are getting ready to change, the light's going to turn green. You need to get ready to move. You've become comfortable looking at a red light, looking at a wall, thinking this maybe is who you are and you're not going to go any further and God can't do anything else. Somebody like me has to come along your way, a pastor Aaron. Maybe it's the one sitting behind you. Maybe it's someone down at the other church. You need to hear the voice of God. The light is getting ready to turn green and I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to scream at you, but I'll preach to you. I'll pray with you. There's a man of God and his wife sitting on the front row that will believe with you. I'm I'm telling you, we need to get ready to go. God is on the move. There's no room for complacency and being comfortable. We are conquerors and God is calling us. He's calling the church to move forward. We got to go. Amen. It's time for you to move. And so I'm wrapping it up. I promise. It's Revelation chapter three. You know this verse. John, the revelator, talking to the church in Philadelphia. Verse 7 and 8, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. And I know we read that and we think, well, that's Philadelphia. So, so, so put your name in there. To the angel of the church in Sapona Road, Church of God. Like if you can't find your story in this, then you've completely missed it. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. 
Verse number eight. Here's the important part. I know your deeds. We, all, we always skip that part because it seems like nobody wants to talk about that because we want to jump in the latter part of verse number eight. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And so it brings us back to the beginning. And a lot of us use this verse in such a way like, like God's going to open a door. And like no one else can open the door. I can't open the door. People can't open the door. The job you works for can't open the door. Like God's going to open this door. And, it, and here it is. It's right here in front of us. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. When he opens, no one can shut. And when he shuts, no one can open. That's the God that we serve. But two things about this passage as we're closing. As we're cl- and it, it, I don't know. Does the worship team come back up? My brother on the keys with the Pittsburgh Steeler feeling shirt to it. If you want to come back up, you could play lightly. I don't know if you do. If, you, if you're okay with doing that, I don't want to put any unwanted pressure on you. Although I did say you guys sounded really good and you were like the most awesome worship team in the world. I did say that earlier. In verse number eight, it says, I know your deeds. Like no one talks about that part of the scripture. And maybe this is something you haven't heard before, but I tell you, it's something you need to think about. Because many of you, many of you think you have done things. Many of you think you have thought things. And you're carrying around guilt and you're carrying around the past and you're carrying around so much stuff that you feel like is preventing you from stepping into who God's called you to be. And the one person that's holding you back more than any other person is guess, guess who? It's you. And what I love about what John says through the power of the Holy Spirit is that God is saying to you and to me, I know your deeds. I know what you've done. I know who you are. I know what you did. I know what you I know what you're doing and I know what you'll do yesterday. I know all the good, the bad and the ugly. I know everything about you. I know all of that. But in light of that, maybe maybe better yet, better better yet, in spite of all of that, I am still going to open a door for you. The God that you serve, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, I read it last night. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit has set you free from that law that Moses was received. Look, that, 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 that written law, does no, it no longer has a grip on you. You no longer have to measure yourself by rules. You measure yourself by grace. Jesus lives and breathes on the inside of you. He has set you free. God says, I know you. I know every part of you. And the one, the only one who can open doors and close doors is telling you, I know you past, present, and future. And I want you to know that I've, I've opened the door for you. I was praying last night out walking around the tabernacle in Kinley. I said, God, what kind of door are you opening today? He said, he said for some of you, it's just a door of healing. You, just, you feel like healing cannot happen. And maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's relational. It's a relationship that's broken. Maybe it's financial. Like Maybe that's the door. I don't know what it is. Maybe... maybe Maybe you just don't know Jesus this morning. I, can, I cannot take for granted that everybody knows God. Maybe it's your relationship with him that's wavering at this moment. And like Peter, you're just laying there, rotting and waiting to die because you feel like it's over. That's not the God we serve. Never has been, never will be. It's not who he is. That's not who Jesus died for. It's certainly... Not who he's alive for. Amen. He says, I'm opening a door. Actually, actually, I think he said, what did he say? He said, I like this. It says, see, 
I have placed before you an open door. But isn't that the way we always read it? That God's going to open a door? It doesn't say that God's going to open a door. He says, see, I have opened a door. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, what that means is that your open door is right here, right now. Some of you are looking for God to open a door and you've missed the one he's currently opened. You're so fixated on what he can do, you're not able to embrace what he is doing. And I feel like, I feel like that's exactly it. That somebody like me was inserted just, just supernaturally, it really was. We didn't plan this, just I slipped right into your life this morning. And I'll slip right, just as quickly as I came, I'll leave and you may never see me again. But the one who speaks through me, I'm praying that what he says to you will stick with you. That he's opened the door. He's trying to wake you up. He's telling you to get dressed, to get ready to prepare. He's getting ready to throw you back in the game. He has opened the door right now, right here, Sapona Road, right here on the edges of Fayetteville. Right here in this neighborhood, right here in this, this is a beautiful building. I hope you know that. Incredible worship team. A pastor who just has, we don't know each other that well. I'm just telling you, he's just, he's just seeing, he doesn't have to tell me anything before he tells me anything. Some people just tell you everything before they ever say a word. He's got vision. He loves God. Him and his wife, Heather, have got plans. They know that God has plans. There is a door opening. There is a door that is opened right here, right now. And I don't know what it is that you need. I don't know what it is that needs to be removed and the blinders taken off. I don't know. I'm just believing that God's going to do that this morning. Amen? Amen? Will you stand with me? Is that okay? Could you just stand? Father, in the name of Jesus, I just come before you. And God, I know I've talked a long time, but God, I'm just believing that you've had something to say this morning. I'm just believing that, God, there's something that you're wanting to do this morning. That, God, you have opened the door, and whatever that may be, and it may be different for everyone standing here, I'm just believing that we're going to step through it. That, God, we're just going to take one step. It just takes one step. Just, just, takes, just one time reaching out. Just, just, just one time embracing. Whatever it is, whatever it may be, maybe it's a changing mind maybe it's a heart that changes i don't know what it is but god i'm praying i'm praying that we would see the door like peter that we would realize something supernatural has shifted the situation the chains are falling doors are opening you are still leading you're telling us to i don't rub the sleep out of our eyes god get ourselves ready get prepared get dressed because god you're on the move you're moving in our lives today Hallelujah. Open doors, God. Open doors. Your doors. Help us to see your open door. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 10.45 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.